Let's continue to worship our God as we open up our word together. As we do that, let me open up in prayer. Father God, we just thank you for today. We thank you that we can worship you. Lord, as we sing these songs, as we take part in communion, Lord, I'm overwhelmed by what you have done for for me. I am a sinner saved by your grace. Lord, uh, outside of a work in my own heart, Lord, there's no way that I could possibly be here today. None of us could be. So, Lord, as we continue to worship you through the opening of your word, I pray that you would be glorified. God, I just want to preach that you are glorified. Lord, I want to praise you. I want to speak of you. I want to praise your name. Lord, there's no gifting that can make this happen well outside of you. So, Lord, by your spirit, help me to preach this sermon with what is needed for the necessary power and appropriate affection. Use this sermon, Lord, to bring glory to your name above all things. Joy to your people and salvation to the lost. And amen. If you have your Bibles with you, we'll be in Colossians 1, verses 24 to 29. We're continuing in our sermon series on the marks of a healthy church. How does God define a healthy church to look like? And today we'll be looking at discipleship as one of those marks. We've looked at all sorts of things, such as biblical theology, preaching. Yes, I preached a sermon on preaching. Um, and today we'll be looking at, oh, we looked at conversion last week, and today we'll be looking at discipleship. What are the things that God defines as a healthy church? It's so easy to just go into any church and just assume that things are healthy depending upon what type of music they're singing or playing or, or how many people are in the pews. But God actually has something to say about what defines a healthy church. Not to say that a church that is big doesn't, isn't healthy, but God does have an opinion. You know, he, he did die for the church. It is his. He is the only one in which he spilled blood for her. So God does have an opinion on it. So in Colossians 1, Paul comes and he's, he's breaking out to Colossians. He wants to teach them and admonish them and encourage them and strengthen them in the faith. And as he opens up this letter in verse 24, he says this, Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake. Oh boy, it's going to be a good one, right? And in my flesh, I am filling up with, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. This is the word of the Lord. 
You know, influence is, is an interesting thing. You know, if you ever think about it, we will all be influenced or actually we will influence others. No person is an island. You know, we, we rub shoulders with people every day and they rub off on us a little bit, sometimes for better, sometimes for worse. But we eventually will begin to reflect those around us and those around us will eventually reflect us. And as I was reflecting upon this, I was thinking about back in high school. I was a good kid, okay? At least that's what my mom says. <laughs> Actually, I don't even know if she says that, but, you know. I was, I was a decent kid. But, and I had friends. We, were, we had good friends. I had good friends. We grew up together. We went to elementary school together. We were in high school together. Um, their parents were, you know, good, God-fearing people. So we were, we were close. But I remember one day I was walking down towards class, because that's what you do. You know, you go to your locker, grab your books, and you go to class. That's what you should do. <laughs> and my friend, a close friend of mine, he, he was not having a good day. Uh, and I walk by his locker. I'm like, hey, I'm not going to say his name. Hey, man. Because I think there's some people in this room who might know who he is. Uh, and uh, and he, he just looked at me and he goes, let's skip. <laughs> this is back in the day when you could do that without a phone call to the home. So, uh, you know, that's what we did. We got up and walked down. Our school was right on the lake, and there was a beautiful park there, and that's where we went to skip. <laughs> we went to the park, LaSalle Park, was it was called. And we'd just hang out there and, and, and just talk and break stuff, like sticks, not like actual property. <laughs> we were good kids. It's amazing, though, right, how I was on my way to class, this is what you should do. And how a simple comment completely influenced me in the opposite direction. Although I wasn't really, I didn't care for a class either, so it wasn't really hard. But I was on my way there. We all influence, and we will all be influenced. No one is an island. The people around us will influence you for better or for worse, and for better or for worse, you will influence those around you. Think about it. An absentee father influences his children even in his absence. None, none of us is an island. So here's the question that we'll be talking about this whole time. The only question that remains for you and for me is this. How will you use your influence? Because that's really what discipleship is talking about. How do we influence those around us? So what is discipleship? When God comes along and we see this word, people use it all the time. If you're, any, if you're in the church, it's like the catch word of all right now. Discipleship. But what is it? First of all, what is a disciple? A disciple is a forgiven sinner who is learning Christ in repentance and faith. A forgiven sinner who is learning Christ in repentance and faith. So if you profess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you call yourself a Christian, you are, by definition, a disciple of Jesus. The question that comes up here is, how effective are we in being obedient to what God has told us to do? Because the next question is this, is what is discipleship? 
How does God define it? And discipleship is a process of moving people closer to a walk with Christ. It's walking with someone and saying, hey, I'm going to be purposeful in this relationship. We're going to get into the God's word together, and I'm going to walk with you through your mess, through everything. I'm going to walk with you. It's intentional. It's using that influence to cause people, to encourage people to walk closer with Christ. A discipling life is an others-oriented life. It labors in the power of God to proclaim Christ and present others mature in Christ. That is a pattern that we see in the Bible. We see that discipleship is really about influencing people through teaching and correcting and modeling and loving them. In fact, I would say that if you truly love someone, you should be discipling them. As parents, as a parent, that's what we do, if you are one. We want those around us to grow in their walk in Christ. And that's what Paul talks about here in Colossians 1, verses 24 to 27. Now this passage here, Paul is talking about suffering. And this would be a great sermon on suffering. Because on the side note, the main point of this text is essentially this, that, that, that in the Christian life there will be suffering. But Paul comes and he gives an explanation as to why he's suffering, why he's continuing in joy, what he is toiling for. See, verse 24, whatever the hardships that Paul had suffered was a joy because of how God had used him to call people to himself. Have you ever thought about it that way? The suffering that you have going on in your life right now, God can use to call people to himself. It's not something we hide. Not something that we're ashamed of. Our suffering actually helps us connect more with other people. Because it looks at them and says, you know what, I know exactly, maybe not exactly, but I know what you're going through. And let me talk to you about Jesus. Let me talk to you about the hope that I have. So during this time, he was able to comfort them because of the comfort he had from God during his suffering. He continues on. He says, Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction. And on a quick note here, he's not saying that Jesus' death is not enough. He's actually saying that uh, he's continuing on Christ's suffering. That as a Christian, you are called to continue in the suffering that Christ himself suffered. As he continues on, he does does it for the body, for the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God. It was God himself, who, and we learned about this when we were looking in Galatians, God himself appointed Paul to go and tell the Gentiles, those who weren't Jews, about Jesus Christ, and that's exactly what he does. And what is this mystery that he talks about? It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. And then we get to verse 28. Did you catch that? Him we proclaim, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Paul's message was Christ. It was Jesus. 
Paul wants the people to know the hope that Christians have that rests in the person of Jesus Christ. The gospel is not a system, a hierarchy, or a set of regulations. It is the person and work of Jesus, which is indeed the message that Paul is talking about here. And he wants everyone. You realize that? You see that? Everyone. This teaching is for everyone. There's no part of the Christian teaching that is to be reserved for the spiritual elite. Did you see that? Do you understand that? That the whole word of God is for everyone. And we are to teach the whole word of God to everyone. Not picking it apart. And getting to choose whatever we get. It's it's everything. It is everything to everyone. All the truth of God is for all the people of God. That's a beautiful thing. Right? This is why Christianity is it's growing astronomically in places where they're not educated. But they know more about God's word than even we do. It's for everyone. So Paul is warning and he's teaching. He warns people with the intent to change one's attitude and actions. That's what this word is talking about. We proclaim warning everyone. He's actually going up to them and saying, Hey, look, you know that direction that you're going right now? Not a good idea. Tweak that. He's not allowing them to continue down their road. We have this like weird idea that if I love someone, I'm not going to correct them. That's not love. He comes along and he's warning and he's teaching them. He warns people with the intent to change their attitudes and their actions. He wants them to grow in holiness and understanding of who God is. Because our God is awesome. And he is good. He's eternal. You could study the same passage over and over again and realize that there's something new about who God is. He's God, creator of everything. By his simple word, he created everything around us. He wants people to grow in their understanding. He wants people to know how to grow in Christ. So Paul's method is both confronting and instructing. He wasn't to present, he wasn't to present everyone matured in Christ, just that. He wanted them to, he, sorry, he was to present everyone mature in Christ. Discipleship involves transmitting the knowledge of God and his word through every moment of life. So what is discipleship? Discipleship is a process of moving people to the right into a closer walk with Christ. A discipling life is an others-oriented life. It labors in the power of God to, to proclaim Jesus Christ and to present others mature in Christ. Discipling is, a, is initiating a relationship. It's initiating. You don't wait for someone to come up to you and say, Hey, will you disciple me? That's not what it is. It's going up to Billy, and you notice that Billy just became a Christian, and it's being intentional, saying, Billy, I'm going to walk with you through this. I don't have it all together either, but I'm going to walk with you with this. in this. We're going to get into the Word of God together. We're going to learn about who God is and how awesome He is, and you're going to see my mess, and I'm going to see your mess. 
And we're going to rest in God together. It takes great humility and can be incredibly messy. But this happens in four ways. Discipleship is happening in four ways in this text. You've noticed the first step is this. is the proclaiming of the gospel. This is the public announcement. Not something we wait for. It's a declaration. It's Christ died for our sins. Jesus Christ died for you so that you could have life. It's proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ to everyone. It's pointing to Jesus. The second one is this, it's correcting. See, when when God uses our proclamation of the gospel as, as messed up as it can be sometimes, right? I don't get it right. I'm sure you don't either. But somehow God uses that. But when God grabs hold of someone and calls him to himself, and that person is a, becomes a Christian because of the proclamation of the gospel, well, now we get into the discipling, the maturing aspect, and that part is the correcting, it's the warning. It's to advise someone that the road you're going down has consequences. Sometimes you may need to warn someone about the choices that they're making. See, Paul, in this word, um, He's warning them. It involves encouraging, instructing, and prompting, as well as reproving others when necessary. But Paul doesn't think of this as his own task. This is a task that belongs to the whole church. And we see that in Colossians 3, verses 16. See, who of us who may have children would watch our child, or any child for that matter, if there was a kid walk or a baby walking around over in the foyer, and you see them go for that wonderful white thing with two prongs, four prongs, and they might, maybe they stole a knife from the cafe. Who of you would not stop that child from doing that? Who of us would watch our child reach for the electric socket without doing something about it? Or if you saw someone about to jump in the way of a train, would not attempt to save them? Part of being a, being a Christian is, is, knowing, is knowing that we are all, that, we, that sin can be deceiving. And that sometimes we need other Christians to help us to see the things that we can't see. I don't know about you, but i got blinders. I don't see everything. God has gifted me in certain ways, and he's gifted other people in certain ways. I don't see everything. I need other people to say, hey, Nate, look, that's not a good idea. That's what joining a church is all about. Did you know that you can lead in discipling relationship by inviting others to correct you as well? And making it easy for them to do so. See, discipling isn't about just sitting on a pedestal. It's about being with the people. And they see your mess. And you see theirs. It also involves this, is teaching. At its core, discipling is teaching. We teach all the words that Jesus taught his disciples and all the words of the Bible. It happens when we sit down and have coffee with someone and ask, what has God been teaching you about himself? 
It also happens through modeling. The command isn't just to teach people. Jesus tells us to teach people to obey. We see that in Matthew 28, verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the ends of this age. Ultimately, discipling involves living out the whole Christian life before others. Christ is our example here. We see this in 1 Peter 2, verse 21. For to, you, for, to, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. So we don't just communicate through our words, we also communicate in our whole lives. Think about a fashion model. I don't know anything about fashion model outside of the commercials. But we're showing off our lives. It's inviting people to imitate you, which is the scariest thing in the entire world. Making your, making your trust in Christ an example to be followed. It requires you to be willing to be watched and then folding people into your life so that they actually do watch. You know, I'm reminded of Deuteronomy 6. As a father, this passage hits me hard every time. Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 7 says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And this is the next part that we often don't get everyone to memorize. You shall teach them diligently to your children. How? And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. There's not one part of your life that's not incorporated in those things. Every part of our lives, both what you verbally teach and what you teach through your life is to point people to the greatness of Jesus. Even how we handle our weaknesses and our failures or our successes and our influences people to Christ. I was thinking about this the other day. I was, la- I was, uh, I was meeting someone who just recently became a Christian and they were um, in a church. And the church cracked out the hymnal. How dare they, right? They opened up the book in the pew in front of you. And, I, and they were making a joke about it, and I was laughing too, because that's what we do. Or I, you know, I like to have fun. But they, they made the comment that was interesting to me. They said, um, I opened this book, I have no idea how to read it. If you, and it's true, right? When you think about it, I grew up at the church, so I know exactly what to do when I open up that hymnal and I read it through. But if I didn't learn music, I didn't learn the process. And then I started thinking to myself, wait a second. If we come into even the simple things of singing praises to our God, and we assume that people know how to use this hymnal, how about the actual things that are important? Like reading their Bible, praying, teaching them to obey all that God has commanded us to do? How many things do we just assume 
But in a, in, in a discipleship, it's not assuming anything. It's saying to Joel, Joel, I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to show you how to do that hymnal thing. But I'm also going to show you what it means to obey all that God has commanded us to do. A friend of mine once described becoming a Christian, and he became saved later in life. He was, I think he was close to 30. And he described becoming a Christian as like a, being a baby in a war zone. Right? They become a child. They're a child of God. They're a baby. They don't know anything. And they're plopped immediately into a war zone. And if we don't come alongside of them as a church and protect them and walk with them and, and mature them in Christ, how in the world can we expect them to stand strong and fight the battle? It comes through modeling. So discipleship happens through the proclaiming of the gospel. It comes through correcting and teaching and modeling. It is necessary then not only to preach the gospel, but also when people have believed the gospel, to instruct everyone and teach everyone in all wisdom. Paul wasn't just concerned with, hey, how many people can I get to be Christian? He was concerned with the eternal things. I want to, mature, I want to present them mature in Christ. I want them to grow in Christ. And when this happens, when we do discipleship, there's this amazing outcome. Did you know that mutual love begins to happen? There's something of a teacher-student relationship, but there will also be a peer-to-peer mutual love. I think about this. I got, I got four guys that I spent two years just pouring into. I would die for them. They would die for me. There's a mutual love. We would do anything for each other because we know each other. And by anything, we all know that that's within the realm of Christ-likeness, okay? They served and blessed and encouraged me in my faith. Even as I worked to do them spiritual good, they did me incredible spiritual good. They helped me become better at following Jesus. They challenged me on things. And when I was teaching someone, I also had to learn about it. Together we were learning what Paul means in Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in our hearts to God. Wouldn't that be awesome? If Noah, if we were a, a church family with relationships like that? Or what the Bible says in Hebrews 10, verses 24 to 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day draw near. So an outcome of discipleship is actually a stronger mutual love for one another. Not only is it a commandment to do, but there are benefits to it. It also encourages humility. 
Just as you humbled yourself to be discipled, so you have to humble yourself to disciple. Discipling involves difficult things. Saying no, persevering through troubles, knowing when to bear with someone and not to. Your invitation might be spurned, your counsel rejected. We don't just disciple through our strengths, but through our weaknesses. Christ's discipling is not so much the work of experts and technocrats, but to borrow from an old phrase, its discipleship is really one beggar pointing another beggar to Christ. There's this great article written by a woman named Erin Wheeler, and she says this, I am a mess. We all feel like that. I have no idea what I'm doing here. Definitely feel like that. There certainly isn't any teaching going on today with my crazy hooligan children and my heart in a bad place towards my husband. I'm the one who needs discipling. She goes on. God, what would you have me do? She asks. In discipling these women, she continues on, I tried uh, constructing questions. I did discussion books. And I would watch God use my weakness in fighting for patience when the day has long since worn me thin. It watched, they watched me struggle to love my husband after sharing my struggles with competing demands of ministry. And she continues on. That is our confidence. Not that we have the perfect home or well-behaved children, but in the muck and mire, God's spirit is at work. Even in our weakness, God uses our words to warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, comfort the weak, and show patience to everyone, all for his glory. Aaron was using her influence in the seemingly mundane to point people to Christ. See, our aim is to present people mature in Christ. The goal is to encourage all Christians to live up to what God expects. And how is it done? Paul continues on in verse 29. For this I toil. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. He was going to exert himself toward the end. He was going to struggle. And the word here, struggle, is to strive to do something with great intensity and effort. The word here is talking about how athletes painfully pursue athletic glory. Back when I was more athletic, clearly I'm not. You know, you go to the gym, you get under that bench, and your buddies are like, Come on, man. You can do it. And you're like, not really, but let's do this. Because you're stupid at that moment. You're young. (laughs) Right? And you're just like exerting all of your energy. There's nothing left. You're not leaving anything left. You're just pushing. That's what Paul's talking about here. He's exerting himself. 
He's going, he's struggling, he's striving to do it with all intensity and effort. The word here is talking about how athletes painfully pursue athletic glory. So what is it in your life that you are struggling with the same effort? Should it not be discipling? But he wasn't doing it in his own strength. He was doing this in God's strength. If you or I hope to contribute any good to others, we have, if we hope to influence others for Christ's sake, it will only happen as God's Spirit works in us and through us. We aren't asked to be perfect, we are asked to go and make disciples, teaching them to obey all that He has commanded. God uses our weaknesses and tells us that we, uh, that we are to be obedient, not in our strengths or abilities, but to God. So discipleship is these things. It's the making of disciples through the proclamation of his word, the good news of Jesus Christ. It is the maturing of disciples through the teaching and the maturing of Christians through the correcting. So therefore, the church is... The church's effort should be that we would grow in holiness and help others to do the same. And the multiplying to start the cycle again with someone else. If discipleship is a movement of people to the right into a closer walk with Christ, true true discipleship is making, maturing, and multiplying disciples of Jesus Christ. It's a local church who evangelizes to their neighbors, their co-workers, their friends, their families, and walks with them into that closer walk with Christ. A discipling life is an others-oriented life. It labors in the power of God to proclaim Christ and present others mature in Christ. That is a pattern that we see in the Bible. So let us ask that question again. How will you use your influence? We're called to imitate godly people. To seek good examples of godliness. We see that in Philippians 4 verse 9. Hebrews 13 verse 7. In Titus 2, older men and older women are commanded to be examples to those behind them. The point is that according to scripture, all Christians should grow in Christ. Imitate other godly Christians. And encourage others in their growth in Christ-likeness. It is important. It's the job of the church to make and mature and multiply disciples of Jesus Christ. The local church is where discipleship is to happen. Just as Jesus commanded the 11 disciples in Matthew 28, and the cycle of discipleship was created, we carry it on to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So the identity, the purpose of the church that Paul sketches out here in his understanding and his commission from God is that he is a servant. He is to present the word of God in its fullness and make known its glorious riches. To proclaim Christ and to admonish and to teach in all wisdom so that believers are firm in their faith. In love, 
If the only, oh, let's do this on the side note. If the only conversation you have with someone is, hey, you're not doing this right. Come on. We need to be encouraging people too. Hey, look, man, that was a great decision. Praise God for what he's doing in your life. We need to create believers by encouraging their hearts and uniting with them in love and full understanding. We need to reach out with the good news to those whom some may dream unworthy or excluded. As Paul served with others with dedication and sacrifice, so we need to as well. We should take seriously our servant's role in this world. Churches are not here to serve themselves or even simply to serve Christ. They are to serve like Christ as instruments for God's reconciliation. So we need to be about discipleship and growth. See, we will all be influenced by others. The people around you will influence you for better or for worse. And for better or for worse, you will influence those around you. So think about it. None of us is an island. A discipling life is an others-oriented life. It labors in the power of God to proclaim Christ and present others mature in Christ. So the question is this, how will you use your influence today? Are you yourself growing in Christ? And are you walking with someone else so that they may grow in Christ? Notice I didn't say anything about making duplicates of Nathan. God knows we don't need any more of me. We do need more people who are growing in Christ-likeness. It's what we're called to do. See, there's a concern for me as I think about this. Is that there's a clear evidence of lack of discipleship in the local church. In all local churches. And if there is a lack of discipleship in the local church, it shows a lack of passion for the gospel. Because you want to proclaim the gospel if you truly grasp how God has called you from darkness into his marvelous light. Because he wants to invest in others so that they may too grow in Christ's likeness. So that they may too know more about who God is and what God has done for them. Because you aren't going to call people to go proclaim the gospel if you aren't doing it yourself. We all will be influenced. You know one of the scariest things as a pastor? Here's, here's, so Paul comes and he calls people to imitate him as what? He imitates Christ, right? That's our call. You know what's scarier from a pastor's viewpoint? At some point, you will begin to reflect, for better or worse, me. Thank God for his grace and his mercy, right? (laughs) Because as I walk with you, you see my mess. As I walk with you, 
I see your mess. My job is to walk with you to present you mature in Christ. To point you, I am just a beggar, pointing you, the beggar, to how great our God is. A discipling life is an others-oriented life. It labors in the power of God to proclaim Christ. It's not your strength. It's God's working in you and through you, in your weaknesses. Paul wasn't perfect. You know, Paul kicked a guy named Mark out. Paul had an argument with another guy named Barnabas over a guy named Mark. Barnabas was right, which means Paul was wrong. And that shows up later in his letters. As he says, send Mark. Paul wasn't perfect, but he was following the one who was. So let us do that. So my prayer for us as a church is that we would be disciples who are making disciples of Jesus Christ. Because we're told to. But why would we not want to? Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for the example of the Apostle Paul, of what he toiled for. Lord, I pray that we as a church would be like that, that we would exert ourselves and that we would toil, that we would struggle in all things to present everyone mature in Christ that we would be a church of disciples and making disciples of Jesus Christ for your glory and for your honor. And amen.